Welcome to the Servants of Grace podcast hosted by Dave Jenkins. Our podcast exists to provide trustworthy expository messages through the Bible and faithful answers to your theology questions. Now for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. All right, welcome back to the Servants of Grace Theology segment. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this show. And on today's show, one of our listeners writes in, and they have a great question. The question is, how do Christians explain the problem of evil? Well, you know, people often ask the question. It's a, it's a, it's a big question. And by the way, we're not going to be able to possibly answer all of this question in 10 to 20 minutes, but we're going to get pretty far into the question, okay? But people often ask, why does God allow evil and suffering? We as Christians must avoid a presumption concerning the cause of evil and suffering because this this question is a profound mystery. Attempting to explain why there, why there is evil in a world made by a good God is called theodicy. It's, that is, justifying the ways of God. There's so much that we can say about this question. You need to understand that entire thousand-page books and more have been written on this subject. Your, your host has read quite a few of those, a very large tome, because I had to write a paper on this issue. I wrote a paper on this issue in seminary. It's, it's an issue that I, I hope, by God's grace, eventually to write a book on. Uh, it's definitely on my list of books that, by the time I die or the Lord takes me, I would like to have written a book on this subject because this is a big issue and it is a matter that needs to be addressed. So that said, back to the question, back to this episode, uh, God has a morally adequate and not yet fully revealed reason for allowing evil and suffering. The Lord assures his people that his decrees, his actions are righteous, just, and holy. In fact, the scriptures are replete with, with God declaring moral perfection and his, man, his dealings with mankind to be just. Abraham says in Genesis 18.25, Will not the judge of all the earth do right? And the psalmist in Psalm 89.14 uh, says, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Dr. Gray Bonson says this. He's considered one of the greatest apologists in the history of the church. He said, when God has a moral justifiably reason for all he does, as a sovereign ruler of the universe, the Lord suddenly chooses to explain himself to his creatures. In fact, nor is God in his decisions subject to the critique of finite and perfect human beings. And even if God were to explain in detail his ultimate purpose to human beings, there's no real reason to think that mere creatures could understand the majestic ways of the Lord. In fact, God's excellent discussion with Job concerning the problem of evil and suffering and subsequent uh, reveals God's inscrutable wisdom and Job's limited comprehension of the Creator's purpose in creation and redemption in Job 38, again in Isaiah 55, and also at the end of Romans 11. Secondly, God's sovereignty and glory will be displayed by His ultimate prevailing over evil. In fact, the Westminster Confession of Faith begins with the question, what is the chief end of man? And it answers, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. 
All of God's great works, creation and redemption, are intended to display God's sovereignty and God's glory. However, God's final prevailing over evil and sin will all the more exhibit his splendor and his dominion. In fact, this prevailing has already begun with the life, the death, the resurrection of the divine Messiah, Jesus Christ. God's plan to deal with evil is prepared for in creation, but executed in redemption. Satan and his forces are already defeated foes with Christ's first coming as Savior, Hebrews 2, 14-15 tells us. And all evil, all human sin will be forever vanquished at the second coming of our king as judge and king, Revelation 21 tells us. After these cataclysmic end times events, the Lord will bring forth a new creation, whoever free from evil and its consequences. In fact, Revelation 21, 1 through 3, it speaks of God creating a new heaven and a new earth, along with the holy city of the new Jerusalem. All that glorious time, all sin, all suffering, all sorrow will forever be eliminated. God will have eradicated the problem of evil. The Apostle John provides a prophetic glimpse into the glorious eternal age in the book of Revelation, in Revelation 21, verse 4, which says, They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Third, God allows evil and suffering because of the greater good that results from it. According to scripture, the greater good for humanity came out of the greatest act of evil. Jesus Christ, none other than God in human flesh, came to reveal the love of God for humanity. And though he is perfectly holy, perfectly blameless, he was rejected both by the religious and the political authorities, falsely accused, convicted, subsequently beaten and executed as a common criminal. Jesus suffered the agony of Roman capital punishment crucifixion and yet god had planned this incredible miscarriage of justice from all eternity acts 2 22 through 23 tells us out of this horrible incident of malice and agony came divine redemption for sinners god brought the greatest good out of the greatest evil lastly augustine's words explain it best for the almighty god who as even the heathen acknowledged, has supreme power over all things, being himself supremely good, would never permit the existence of anything evil among all of his works. If you are not so omnipotent and good that he can bring good even out of evil. Amen to that. Amen. So while Christians should be cautious about claiming to identify God's purpose behind specific incidents of injustice and suffering, the scripture does reveal insight into how God uses evil and suffering. First, God may use evil and suffering to get an unbeliever's attention and ultimately draw that sinner to repentance and faith in Christ alone. Christian apologist Walter Martin used to say that some people will not look up to the Lord until they lay flat on their back. Evil and suffering can shock people out of their lives of diversion and indifference and apathy to spiritual things, and even sometimes out of their false sense of control. In this way, problems may be used by the grace of God to bring a person to saving faith. As C.S. Lewis so eloquently put it, God whispers to us in our pleasures, he speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts in our pains, it is his megaphone to rise a death world. God may use the results of evil and suffering to build the moral and the spiritual character of his people or to express fatherly discipline. 
Courage is only forged through the face of facing one's fears, just as steel must be refined by fire. And for faith to grow, it often has to be tested by fire. God expresses more concern for his people than, than for their comfort. And so God uses evil and suffering to facilitate the believer's moral and spiritual maturity. The Apostle Paul, who endured much evil and suffering, explains the, the casual relationship between suffering and character in Romans 5, verse 3. But we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. You see, a loving father disciplines his children. Although unpleasant at the time, discipline is crucial to a child's growth as a, as a responsible person. God similarly allows evil and suffering to bring about discipline in the life of his children. Hebrews 12, 7 says, Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. The assuring guarantee for the Christian is that God does not allow evil and suffering to come into a Christian's life without producing greater good for that person. The Apostle Paul set forth that divine promise in Romans 8, 28. And we know that, that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And with that said, facing evil and suffering, it's never easy, even if a person knows that the Lord is ultimately sovereign and in control. Now, there's three critical, critical comforts that can help us in the midst of our suffering. First, Christians can know that they'll never suffer alone. God is acquainted with suffering, for he has suffered in Christ. Jesus came into the world as a man, as the God-man, under the sentence of death, to suffer for human beings and for them. God himself entered into the raw, ugly mix of sin. Of all the world's religions, only Christianity reveals the God who suffers with and for humanity. His suffering and his earthly life and relationships on the cross can transform his people's experience of suffering. In fact, even now, Jesus serves as, as a great high priest interceding for all believers during their trials, during their difficulties. And we need to say this very clearly. Jesus is not aloof or indifferent to human anguish and suffering. He suffered as the God-man. The author of Hebrews describes Christ's role as sympathetic high priest in Hebrews 4, 14-16, saying this, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firm to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to, to help us in time of need. Second, God has called his children to live a life of faith, confidence, and trust in the goodness and the sovereignty of God, despite the presence of evil and suffering. And so scripture points us to the compelling example of, of Abraham, Moses, Job, and Paul in the words of a familiar song, Christians don't know what the future holds, but they do know the one who holds the future. And faith is trusting in the character of God when circumstances are painful, when they're confusing. Christians can trust God in the midst of suffering because they are aware of his character and his promises. The Apostle Paul assures the church through asking and answering a pro probing question in Romans eight thirty-five and 37, which says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us.
And finally, evil and suffering go beyond a, a logical or even a philosophical problem. They are deeply personal and deeply human problems. Whenever people face suffering, they need comfort. They need reassurance. Christians can and they should confront evil and suffering in a powerful and a practical way by comforting those afflicted by evil and by easing the suffering of the people around them. And so, lastly, the historical Christian answer to the problem of evil and suffering, it's found in the example as well as the identity of Jesus Christ. God came in the flesh to to, to deal with his children's suffering, to comfort them, to teach them, ultimately to destroy the power of evil. And so the suffering of God in the, in the finished and sufficient work of Christ is the solution to the problem of evil for, for us as human beings. I want to thank you for listening or even watching this episode of the Servants of Grace Theology segment. Until next time, may the Lord richly bless you and keep you. Thank you for listening to the Servants of Grace podcast today. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, leave a rating on the app, and share our episode with your friends and family. If you'd like to, you can follow us on Instagram at Servants of Grace, on Twitter at Servants of Grace, or by searching Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this podcast on the front page of our website at servantsofgrace.org.